Hi, this is Chad. Thank you so much for being part of this journey towards product mastery. Together, we are doing this to really learn how we can develop products our customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. This is something I've been helping companies with now for over 10 years. It's a great pleasure to go in and help medium to large size organizations improve their innovation processes. Specifically, usually working with the product VP or other leaders involved in innovation and product management. And it's really a system to help everyone get on the same page, learn foundational knowledge together, and basically improve their performance, creating products that indeed customers love. If you want to find out more about that to see if it might be a good fit for your team, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Now, today we're talking about augmented reality and what product managers and leaders need to know about how this is really is a rapidly changing field, hard to keep up with perhaps. And what do we need to know about it? I'm also seeing it come into digital transformation projects as well. Our guest is going to help us with this, and he's created several products using augmented reality, including a few that you probably know about. The phone-based vision test at Warburg Parker, the Neiman Marcus digital mirror that makes trying on and selecting clothes easier. I remember hearing about that being announced, thought it was fascinating. And the Salesforce conversational balance table, and much more. His name is David Rose, and he's an MIT lecturer, author, and serial entrepreneur who offers a unique perspective on the next platform of spatial computing that he's called SuperSight. This is also the title of his last book, SuperSight, What Augmented Reality Means for Our Lives, Our Work, and the Way We Imagine the Future. Listeners, as a reminder, if you want a written summary of anything we talk about, including that one-page action guide that we create for you, immediately put into action with you and your team some of the key takeaways we'll discuss, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 438, and you'll find those resources. David, thanks so much for being part of the journey with us. Thanks, Chad, for inviting me. So I'm really fascinated about this. Augmented reality, I think, has gotten a lot of attention from all of us since it first came on the scene a few years ago, and now we're seeing some really practical applications of it. And you're going to talk us through some of those, no doubt. But first, give us a sense of what you mean by the real-world metaverse. I'm trying to highlight a kind of a bright line between VR and AR when I say the real world metaverse. I think a lot of people, when they think of metaverses, they think Roblox, Minecraft, multiplayer games, Horizon World from Meta. Those are all virtual environments where you're sealed off and the real world is obscured from your vision. And by saying the real world metaverse, I'm talking about laying information over the existing architecture, city, water, places that we go in order to make those places easier to navigate or imagine how they might change in the future. So that's when I say the real world metaverse, I'm talking about taking all of the internet and spatially anchoring it in the real world. Okay. I know when I first came across this concept, I, don't, I maybe this was a decade ago, whenever AR starts showing up on the scene, right? And my background is engineering. I was fascinated by the idea. And the first examples were games and things like, what a waste of this technology is that? Not that's not great, but so much more we could do. And then I started reading a little bit about maybe some people that might be using this to make it easier for mechanics working on really complicated machinery, like Boeing engines or jet engines or something, and helping them through things. That There's real value here. And you've been a part of some pretty interesting products, and no doubt you'll tell us more about some of them. But first, I'm curious, where do your ideas come from for the, some of the things that you've been part of? Like, obviously, you're at Warburg Parker, so that I mean, it was some context. But the things that you've done, tell us maybe some insights about how you get ideas, tools that we might be able to use. 
Yeah, I guess for me, good ideas, either for projects, for innovation, or for kind of a new startup, come from a confluence of three things. One is some user need or insight about people. If I take the case of, we'll talk, I think, more later about the boating application. I'm a boater. I'm regularly disoriented out on the water. <laughs> I regularly run into rocks and shallow areas and ruined props. And I also have nearly mowed over a lot of kayakers, canoes, other things in the water. So there's like a user need component. Then there's a technological maturity component, which is... Oh. In the case of the boating camera, it's computer vision. So we've gotten to the stage with computer vision thanks to NVIDIA and TensorFlow and lots of other tools that you can now recognize and perceptually identify things in front of you so that your boat can have a sense of sight and you don't have to be the only one looking out. So that's the second thing is tech maturity. And the third thing is kind of a viability of the business idea which for me usually comes from kind of meeting a go-to-market partner who could com help commercialize a technology. So it's, so it's the combination of user insider need, tech maturity, and a way to scale. Very good. So are some of these ideas, because of that last one, talking about your personal need to have that partner help you, do you find yourself coming up with some of these ideas and going, man, the world needs this. I'm going to go find someone to help create this with me. Yeah, I think that's really the only way <laughs> to find scale quickly is you have to find some clever path to reduce acquisition, customer acquisition cost. Right. So when I, was, when I was creating a table that shows conversational balance, I was sure that I didn't want to be in the table making, especially electronic sensing tables and trying to make those and store those and commercialize those and go to furniture fairs and show those. So instead, we I was working for an architecture firm called Gensler, one of the biggest architecture firms in the world. And our client was Salesforce. They were building new offices. There, there were many conference rooms in those offices. And they said, how could we improve how teams work together? And so already, here's a ready customer, here's a need for how do you have people more aware of how the conversation is being distributed around a team of six people. And if you could make a feedback device, which is the surface of the table, which illuminates based on who's contributing more or less over the last 10 minutes, that was the user need. So that was a confluence of those things in that setting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, kind of the intersection. Most of our listeners are working in an organization, right? So they have that the resources of the organization to maybe help them push things forward. Do you find yourself jotting down ideas as they come to you? Just any tips on tools here? Or do you just, are you one of those guys that wakes up in the middle of the night and go, wow, we got to do this. And you start planning it then, or how does this work? Yeah, I have a long list of companies and ideas that I'd love to start if I find the right, if I find the, that confluence of, of validated user need and, and, tech that seems ready to popularize. I, just to give you an example, I'm recently really fascinated by the next platform for computing, which is this kind of mixing what we see with digital layers. And I was just out in Yellowstone National Park last week, and I was on a snowmobile. Not everybody gets to go in on a snowmobile, but we had won the lottery to get a ticket to go in. And I was wearing this giant snowmobile helmet, and I thought, 
there's all kinds of space in this helmet for some compute and for some display and for either a birdbath design, which means that you're doing, you're splitting what with digital layers because it's being projected down. And then with a beam splitter or a or wave kind of, you're able to see through that. And I thought, man, I get... I'm disoriented with the snowmobile. I'd love to learn more about animal tracks. I'd love to learn more about where to find the the wolves or the elk or the the bison. There's you're on this huge caldera, so there's lots of you're on the rim literally inside of a volcano that exploded like 50,000 years ago and 200,000 years ago. And so there's all kinds of like natural geology of the world to learn more about and discover. Like I really wanted to learn about history and the natural world and figure out where to go. And it seems like there were a lot of opportunities in that place, but I don't think I'm going to start a snowmobile helmet company soon. But, <laughs> but I certainly Maybe see Maybe someone's listening that is with a company that that might make sense. So that's a good tip. Okay, I do want to dive into an example. And you mentioned the boating one earlier. would love to hear how that came about and want to get the journey of that and tying in some of this technology that product leaders should probably be knowing about. Sure. This one is especially interesting because it touches on building a solution for a context that, which is boats, which I'd never worked in marine electronics before. I have a boat and regularly have challenges, as I was saying, in terms of navigation. And so the genesis for the project came from, I was speaking about Supersight, the, my new book, at a healthcare conference, and somebody approached me afterwards and they said, you showed how you can see through the human body for surgery planning. You showed how you could see through the streets of the city to understand where the infrastructure and the cables and piping and other things are in the city. I don't really care about those two examples. I'm a fisherman and I care about seeing through the water because I really don't want to run aground and I do want to know where to fish because <clears throat> those maps exist, but where there's interesting structure under the water, I want to be able to viscerally see that in context without holding up my phone, without I'm like using my hands for fishing. So I thought boy, that's a really interesting idea to see through the water. I wonder if we could spatially anchor all these topobathic maps, these underwater maps that already exist in glasses so you could see the structure as if you're in a glass-bottom boat. You could see terrain underwater. So we started off, we used Unity, which is a 3D game engine. We got the maps from uh, ArcGIS, which is a spatial company called Esri out in California. So the data was there and the meet and the display means were there. And we made a mock-up and we used these glasses called Enreal, um, which are now out at Verizon stores at about $600. You could have done this with Microsoft HoloLens, but that would have been two years ago and $3,000. Right. So the technology, the availability, uh, the glasses are brighter now. They're not waterproof, which they need to be. And we started prototyping it. And we prototyped this magic moment of seeing through the water. And it was pretty compelling. And But then the more we used it, the more we realized that actually the glasses really aren't the way to scale this and get to market. We talked to a company called Freedom Boat Club that has a boat, membership model and it's usually for new boaters who don't have a boat or for people who are going to a new place and want to boat in a new place and 
we figured out that the best way to image the world around you was to put a camera on top of the boat. So we used computer vision with a 360 camera system. This is the product that sits on top of the boat. And so it uses computer vision to see everything that's around you that might be a hazard. And then it mixes that with cartography so that the screen that's sitting next to you when you're driving the boat shows you ideal paths, safe passage tracks so you won't run aground. It highlights other vessels or other objects in the water that you need. And it really took, it took a lot of learning in order to do this project. I think a lot of people who are product innovators need to be dauntless in terms of their ability to say, oh, I don't know a lot about the world of GIS or the world of, or the world of computer vision or the world of marine electronics, but let's cobble together a team and cobble together a product to quickly prototype it. What I love are all those pieces were readily available, right? They just needed to be put together for this new application. There wasn't R&D that was necessary here. This is making use of capabilities that we have. And you pivoted along the way as you learned, right? You recognize glasses isn't really the right mechanism for a boater, but having this maybe tied into their navigation display they already have or on a separate display that can be added, that sort of thing that makes a lot of sense. I love this example because, as I mentioned to you earlier as we were chatting, I've, I've been watching some of the YouTube selling channels, and I'm not all that interested in selling. It's appealing. I have a motion sickness problem, so that doesn't work for me. But uh-huh. I've been a big RVer and have taken some big RV trips. This is actually what this podcast came out of. And a lot of those people who used to have the RV channels now have sailing channels. I follow along. And this is a repeated problem I see often with them. Right, they're someplace new. They're they're doing big boating, right? Going in the Caribbean and Bahamas and all over the place, and trying to get through some small little channel where they're really nervous about. And any of these videos, sooner or later, someone runs aground. And I thought, wow, th- this is such a perfect sort of capability that lets you see literally a the path that you should be on as you're navigating and what the obstacles are around, right? Yeah, that's right. I think, and we really benefit, as you were saying, from innovation that came from the world of, it's called ASS, with automatic driving assistance systems, blind spot warning systems, backup cameras, things for auto, for automobiles and for planes, these kind of, and for military applications, these kind of AR and sensing tech has been around for a while. But so lifting that, applying it to boating, understanding the kind of unique needs of a boater, So when it comes to sailing innovation, we've learned a lot from America's Cup, which is work done by this guy, Stan Honey, who invented the first downline AR in football. He worked with, he's a big sailor, a big sailing navigator, and he worked with America's Cup, these foiling boats, in order to make it more legible so normal people could watch sailing could watch sailboat racing and figure it out. And the thing, I don't know if you've seen this, but what he did was he made our understanding of the sa- of house of the sailing race and the circuit and what sailors need to do more like football. Like he put instead of every 10 yards, it's every 100 meters, but he made it look like it was a field. And so you could tell even if one boat's going this way, another boat's going this way, you could tell who is who. They have like little virtual flags on top of them. They show how fast they're going. You can see who's passing the first yard, you know, the next line first. They have right. little red crumbs behind them. Like all of those augmentations are making a sport into a spectator sport, which I think is really brilliant. 
Yeah, yeah, it makes it more accessible. Oh, I can yeah. see, literally see what is going on here. But I think that the innovation lesson for there for product managers is use familiar metaphors. Try to make your big innovation actually look incremental. He could have done a lot. He could have added like energy force lines and like all kinds of other things. But instead, his incremental innovation was to make it look like football. Right. And so I think as a product manager, we have to even though we may have big, bold ideas of how to make, how to remake something in a totally new way, we'll probably get more adoption and more understanding of what's happening if you use a familiar metaphor or iconography or naming. When I was at the Media Lab, we did another type of table, which was a coffee table. And the innovation was, was voice reco. And so the coffee table listens to the conversation of the people around it and pulls up Facebook photos that complement the conversation. So if you're talking about Yellowstone Park in the winter, like there are the photos from your Yellowstone Park from your Facebook feed. And I didn't invent voice reco and I didn't invent photo tagging and image recognition, but assembling those in a way and putting them in a context where they might be useful. But we called it the Facebook coffee table because we wanted people to understand here's where the photos are coming from and it's familiar plus familiar All right i've done like skype cabinetry that knows that connects you with other people but everyone knows what skype is and has a sense of what that is and everyone knows what cabinets do if you put two familiar things together i think that's usually a good recipe for kind of curiosity and also people anticipating its use i like that so that suggestion of pick something that is familiar, right? Anytime that we can tie into the customer's workflow, what they already know, and just extend that, that's a huge win. We make our the adoption of our product much less complicated and easier for the customer. You hit on some of the capabilities and trends going on as you talked about that the system for boats, but just want to dr- dive into that a little bit more about as product leaders, it, it does seem like even if we don't have AR on our radar, perhaps, there's likely a digital transformation in our future, and that may very well, we might realize, hey, we can add more value by incorporating AR into this, the real-world metaverse, or it might even get forced upon us, right, from another part of the organization. So I'd like to have a better sense of just what to expect in the near term. I'm sure it's all changing rapidly, but kind of what do you see going on as trends in this space for technology or other aspects? Yeah, I think the set of tools that are coming out that allow you to manipulate 3D models and, that, and to reduce the weight of both making 3D models and putting 3D models into your app or into the world, that seems like a huge kind of sea change, right? So there are now asset stores like TurboSquid or CG Trader or even a lot of the stock photo sites are now selling 3D models. And there are tools like Polycam that allow you just to use the LiDAR that's on every iPhone out there and you just hold, you hold it up and you digitize a space. Or Apple has a tool that you walk around a thing and immediately whatever it is becomes a 3D object that you can drop into the world with the geometry and the textures or recognize when someone else is around that 3D object to animate it or decorate it or add information to whatever it is. So the ability to scan and image things is a total game changer, I think, in terms of these new tools. And I would really encourage people to try 
There are two really easy ones that I often use in workshops. So if there's a team that wants to get into prototyping in AR quickly, Adobe Aero is wonderful. It's just, it's a no coding environment. You pick an ass, a 3D asset, you drop it into the world, you can stick it to a surface plane or a horizontal plane or an object or an image, and then you can add behaviors. You can say, when I'm this close to it, have it talk or animate. It's, it, in less than an hour, teams can really get going on just making some really fun prototypes. If we keep going in the workshop to a second day, we introduce Apple's product called Reality Composer, which is nice because the code that generates can go directly into Xcode and you can, you can develop it into more sophisticated behaviors. But the, and the other one that is a really fun one for people to try is probably the most successful AR product out there by far, even beyond Pokemon Go, which is Snap. So Snapchat, which is now called Snap, has 300 million people nine or 10 or 12 times a day sharing like face decorations of themselves like with face filters with each other and it's probably not it's not our generation but it's a different generation but there's rabid adoption of AR for the front-facing camera and then also for starting to apply decorations or virtual layers to the real world so if people want to get into that there's a tool called snap studio which is also a low code wiring up environment you could play with okay snap studio to make your own Okay, those are some good tips and sounds like some fun tools to play with. Absolutely. And then you can use the face decorations within Zoom as well. So you can like freak out your teammates. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that we don't record in Zoom, but I was thinking if we were, I was about to go for that uh, filter to make myself look like a dog or something, which is just you know, <laughs> fun to do some of the time. And all that's getting much well, more I think, sophisticated. I, mean, I think a lot of people see those kind of snap decorations and they think, oh, this is just like a, this is just a toy. It's just like a tool for self-expression. When I worked at Warby Parker, that was a, an opportunity to help people select which glasses would, would fit their pupillary distance and their right. nose bridge height and look decent on their face. And with that confidence, people don't need to see, don't need to walk into a store. They don't need to, to do a try-on. If you have a virtual try-on that works, that's really convincing, people will make purchase decisions from that. So I think a, obviously a big use case for AR, in addition to navigation, is experiencing things as they could be in a space or on the body. And now we're seeing it with shoes, with jewelry, with like makeup, with like all haircuts, like all, all kinds of things can be prototyped in AR. Fantastic. And all those sound like easily accessible tools and that we can get into this with very little cost. I had a group of eight to 12-year-olds about nine years ago in a future innovation leaders class, we called it, the FIL class. And we were all learning Tinkercad together at the time. Oh, fun. And I love that. I was just yeah. amazed at how quickly they picked this up and then converted that to 3D prints of whatever their creation was. And it was just great to see it go from that digital world to the real, to the real world. And the tools that you describe are just going to make this really accessible for lots of people. I'm curious, what is the next step for the lookout camera that you described for boating? Yeah, so we've taken it to a bunch of boat shows. We, <laughs> Because people spend a lot on their boats and they expect for the electronics on their boats to cost a lot, we keep getting pushed up from the, we thought we we're going to go out with two or $3,000 as a price point, which 
give us plenty of margin. Now we've decided we're going to go out at $5,000 for the daylight version and $10,000 for the night vision version. And we were at the Miami Boat Show showing it off to some partners. It's going to be on Scout Boats, which is a big company that sells a few thousand boats a year down in South Carolina. The Palm Beach Boat Show, will it will be on top of the Scout Boats. And we're prototyping, helping people that are part of Freedom Boat Club by painting kind of recommended tours based on the type of boat, their experience as a boater, the weather, the tide, and how much time they have to make it more like a Disney ride and less right. something that... Because I think... It's really clever. Freedom Book Club is, is owned by a big company called Brunswick. They also own Mercury Marine and Boston Whaler and a bunch of other boat brands. And they're just trying to expand the market. They just want more people to enjoy and feel confident and not hurt themselves. Reinventing this kind of dashboard experience, giving boaters more guidance is certainly in their interest. Absolutely. Yeah. And create a more safe, safe recreation for everyone. So. Great. Love that. As listeners know, we also love innovation quotes here. Asked you to bring one for us and share what that means to you. I just invented this one, but (laughs) it really embodies how I often coach innovation teams to think about how they, what to prototype first. Usually when new products are, when people think about new products and new services, there's a set of table stakes ideas and then a set of kind of, oh my gosh, magical ideas. And I think it's really important to, so my quote is prototype the magic moments first. And the reason for that is by by focusing on magic moments, like the moment when you hold up your phone and we automatically propose glasses for you, or the moment which you walk up to the mirror in the at Neiman Marcus and you get to see two outfits and spin spin around and see yourself from behind or I'm working on a with a sports brand on a something that motivates you to to work out more at home and so the idea is do pose detection understand skeletal structure and then convert you into an avatar that where you're like really motivated to to do some activities but rather than all of the Rather than focusing on all of the optionality of, oh, there's going to be a menu and you can choose this or you can choose this. And then people usually get stuck into a situation where they think about all the things it could do and trying to illustrate like a flow chart of you could do this or you could do this or you could do this. And that feels good because it's generative. But the thing that really sell it either to internal stakeholders or to the market is just that 30-second, maybe even 10-second advertisement that just captures that one magic moment. And that's the thing to envision, prioritize, and prototype first, even if you have to prototype it with video or a sketchy storyboard that will really bring the team together in order to want to make manifest that moment. Really good advice wrapped up in that quote. So I'm glad you invented that one for us. Prototype the magic moments first. Because sometimes we can get caught up in wanting to prototype the entire customer journey. So no, we just need to tell the story and lead up who we need to convince that this is a good thing to pursue or not. Jump into it with us and lead them up to that magic moment and show them what that might look like. So I like that. Thank you so much. How can people find... 
Yeah. There was another, I just have one more quick story about the magic moment. So I was working with a grocery store that wanted to help people with allergies make better choices throughout the store. So oftentimes, if you have somebody who's gluten intolerant and then also has a dairy allergy and then maybe a, it was also kosher, like it's really hard to find the right granola bars for to satisfy that kind of constraint, set of constraints. So... What we did was we used augmented reality. It was a super simple idea. Like you hold up any granola package and you look at it with your camera and it changes the one you're holding into the one you should be holding. So that's ah. just, just con- it just converts. It says, oh, I can see you're looking for granola bars. So based on the constraints of these al- this allergy profile or this health profile, this is the one you should be holding. And by... We didn't try, we, there were like a hundred other things we could have asked about how many SKUs is it and how many SKUs could you recognize and how should we build the profiling tech and all these other questions. But instead, by just prototyping that one consumer moment where it shows you what you should be holding, people were like, wow, that's that one customer interaction sold it to the whole organization. And that's all you need. That's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. How can people find out more about the work you're doing, more about your super site book? You have another book, at least one I know that you wrote before. Yeah, so this is at supersite.world is the URL for this one. And I have a free chapter to download, design principles, examples of other projects, information about workshops, that kind of stuff is all at supersite.world. Excellent. Yeah, the previous book was called Enchanted Objects, and that's enchantedobjects.com. Okay. Fantastic. So we can point people towards Supersite World to find out about the current work, supersite.world and enchantedobjects.com. Wonderful. David, thank you so much for being with us and the insights about the world metaverse. Thank you, Chad. And if there's any boaters out there that want to try the lookout camera, that's at clearwater.ar. We'll make sure that gets get, in the get show Get in notes. touch with me. We have a, we have, we're building a bunch of prototypes and need people that have 30 to 60 foot boats to try it. Fantastic. <laughs> That sounds like a good thing to try out. Okay. Listeners, if you want to find the written summary of anything we discussed and that one-page action guide to help you put into action some of the key takeaways that David shared with us, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 438. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.